But as a way of introduction uh, this morning, uh, what we want to do is I just want to look at, at these seven realities of knowing and experiencing God. And you'll see this diagram uh, if you're doing the study quite often, and it kind of revolves around this because it is to know God and to do God's will. And this diagram kind of, uh, Henry Blackaby has outlined these seven realities that happen in how we know God, how God works, and how we experience God. And uh, I want to talk about these seven realities this morning through the lens of Gideon. And I, I picked Gideon because I think he's somebody that we can relate to. And uh, we can see in the story of Gideon and in, in what happened and took place in Gideon's life, these seven realities taking place as God interacts with Gideon and Gideon experiences God and knows God's will and follows God's will. And... Uh, the reason, again, that I picked Gideon is because I think we relate to him. We relate in his weakness. We relate in his timidity. We relate in his very ordinariness. And a big theme of this study is that God uses ordinary people. God finds us in our vulnerability, meets us in our vulnerability, and uses us in spite of our vulnerability uh, for his glory and for our gain. So let's look at Gideon in these seven realities. Uh, Judges uh, 6 is where you'll find, 6 and 7 is where you'll find, uh, and 8 as well, the story of Gideon as a judge of Israel. And uh, this is a time uh, which is repeated quite often in the, in the book of Judges. Judges 6, 1 starts off, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. So these Midianites uh, basically were assaulting Israel for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds for wherever, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. This is what Gideon is facing in his culture. This is what Gideon is facing in his life. This is Gideon's experience of God, as we'll see, uh, in his country. Uh, and what he has to do then uh, and how God engages with, with Gideon is what we'll examine. Let me just pray as we begin this study. Father God, this morning we just open up your word, and I pray by your Holy Spirit that you will touch our hearts, that you will show us uh, what it is that we need to see in our own lives that you will teach us about you and who you are, and that we will glory all the more in your character because of what you reveal. And, Father, that uh, from this we will be motivated to go and to reciprocate and to respond in love of who you are and to take action uh, to see our lives transformed and to see your name glorified out of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first of these seven realities that we're going to look at uh, that are in the study and you'll be looking at over the weeks to come is that God is always at work around you. God is always doing something. He's never just doing one thing. He's always doing 10,000 things, and he's never not working. He's, he's always at work around you. This is a truth that we have to understand in order to know God and to get to know God. And in 6.8, as we continue on here, it says, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel... And he, the prophet, said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave your, their land to you. And so God basically sends a prophet to remind the people of Israel, Look, I've always been working with you. Have, have you not noticed that I've been doing things for your nation? And this is true in our own lives too. 
But it's quickly forgotten and often doubted, as, as Gideon is going to doubt, we'll see in the next section in, in 6.13. We often see God working in retrospect. Help me if maybe I'm the only one here. We look back in our lives and we go, oh, look at where God was working all that time. But if we remember to those points in our life, we think, where was God? Why am I all alone? Why is this happening to me? God isn't here. He's not doing anything. And then as we get older, we look back a couple of years, we look back 10 years and we go, oh, God was working. God kept me from this or God led me into this, or God prevented this, or God was accomplishing this, and I didn't even see it. But in retrospect, God sometimes sends a, a prophet, a, you know, sort of a, a prophet in our own conscience, in our own mind, when we're in our quiet time with him, and he reminds us of those times, and, we, and he says, look, I was working that whole time. And, and that's what he's doing here with, with the people of Israel and with Gideon. He's saying, I sent a prophet to remind you of all the working that I've been doing in your midst. Even in the painful things, even what was meant as discipline, which is a case here because we opened up with Israel did what was evil in the sight of God, right? Even things I meant of discipline was me working. God was working through Herod. God was working through Pilate, right? The apostles and the disciples look back in their prayer time in Acts and they say, Lord, you know, Herod and Pilate, they thought they were doing their own will, you know, or they thought they were doing the will of the enemy, but it was actually you working even to accomplish your purposes in Christ Jesus. So God is always at work around us, and we have to understand that. And then personally in our own lives, you look at a psalm like Psalm 139, you know, where David says, you know, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God is just always at work. That's the first of the seven realities. And that to know God will and to, and to get to know God and experience God, we must never forget that he is always at work nationally, corporately, and personally in our lives. But secondly, God is pursuing a continuing loving relationship with you that's real and personal. God is pursuing you. And in Judges 6.11, he says, the angel, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah. Uh, Oprah's a different thing. Uh, so now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Bizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. This is the classic Gideon scene here, right? 611. This is, this is where we are introduced to Gideon. But what we see is that Gideon is an Israelite. He's one of God's chosen people. But at this point, even as one of God's chosen people on the planet, the nation that God chose to reveal himself to, he is actually pretty skeptical that God cares about his people, let alone that God cares about Gideon personally, right? If you were to ask Gideon, does God care about Israel? He'd be like, no. Is he pursuing a love relationship with this nation? No. Does he know you and does he care about you? No, right? Gideon is completely skeptical that this is a reality of God, that he is pursuing a continuous love relationship with his people because the nation is in such a state that they have to hide in caves and they have to thresh wheat at the bottom of holes in the rock just to survive, right? And Gideon actually responds to the angel of the Lord, and this is bold. He says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Wow. Okay, so Gideon is timid and fearful, but then he talks back to the angel of the Lord like this. Like it's staggering, right? He's like, um, if God was really with us, then why am I threshing wheat in a wine press? That does not seem like God is with us. And 
the one thing that I take from this, and for us, even as we do this study, as you're going through this study and you're trying to experience God, and I don't know where you're at, whether you're on the mountain peak or whether you're in the valley in your relationship with God, what I take from 613 that's really encouraging is that God is not worried about our tough questions. You can talk to God and give him your hardest questions. You're not going to upset him, right? We can ask the hard questions. But the mistake that we make is thinking that our circumstances or even our attitude towards God is somehow going to make him more distant or that he has given up pursuing us in his love because of the circumstances that are around us. See, that's our human thing that we do. We look at our circumstances or we look at how we feel about things and we think, well, this must be the, the truth about God. But God is not confined by what we think of our circumstances or what we think that he's doing. God is always pursuing us in his love. And he has purposes in the way that he is pursuing us. That he is in the process of accomplishing his purposes even when we are in the process of deflecting what he's asking of us back at him. Because that's what Gideon is doing. The Lord, angel of the Lord has come to Gideon and and. God has a covenant with Israel that he will not abandon them and God has a plan for Gideon and he sent his angel to engage with this plan and he's not going to give up the pursuit of this covenant. He's not going to give up his pursuit of what he hopes for in Gideon in his life. And the irony of this and the irony of Gideon's question is this, is that right as God is trying to act through Gideon as he did in past days, Gideon is asking him, why aren't you asking the way you have in past days? And if I was the angel of the Lord because my spiritual language is sarcasm, if I, was the spirit, if I was the angel of the Lord at that point, I would say, um, Gideon, you're asking why I'm not acting in the nation of Israel as I did in the past. That's what I'm doing right now talking to you. I'm trying to act in my nation through my people the way that you are telling me I'm not doing. You're missing it because it's happening right now in front of you. But the angel of the Lord is much more gracious. He just deflects that question off and just points out to Gideon who's taking the initiative in the relationship, right? Israel at this point is not worshiping God, they're worshiping Baal. But God is planning their rescue anyway. Gideon wasn't seeking God. Gideon was in a wine press feeling sorry for himself and grumbling about why God wasn't there. But God was seeking Gideon. Who's taking the initiative here? Who's pursuing the relationship? It's God, right? God came and found him to act through him as God has always promised he will do. He will not give up his pursuit. And so do we believe that? Do we believe in these times when we're in those Gideon moments, do we believe that God is always pursuing us? That even in the winepress of our life, even when it seems God is absent, or maybe we even wish he was absent, do we trust that God is always there, he's always been there, that he's fulfilling his promises to us, and in fact, it's not God who's falling short, it may be us that's the problem in the relationship. It may be we who are the obstruction to the fulfilling of God's promises, not him. God is speaking to us. He is prompting us to re-engage with him. He's pursuing us for this relationship. And this study or this sermon series may be the way in which God is sending his angel of the Lord to sit with you under the tree and get you back onto his plan to redeem you and to redeem others through you, right? That's what Gideon was missing, is that this was happening right now for you, Gideon. This is my plan to pursue you and engage with you to get you back on track and get this nation back on track. And God sends his angels. He sends his spirit. He sends his word out to do his will. And so for us doing this at Lakeside here in Halliburton, this could be the moment in which God is saying to you, I am pursuing you. I am with you. I'm always at work around you. 
Just see what's happening right in front of you and join me. Because God does invite and God does speak. And I'll do these three and four together, the next two together. The third point is God invites you to become involved with him in his work and God speaks and he speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible and prayer and circumstances in the church to reveal himself and his purpose and his ways. So God invites and speaks are three and four. And we see that if we continue in Judges 6, 12, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This, this is God literally speaking to Gideon, saying God's with you. And then in 14, he says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? You see, God is speaking to Gideon, and he's inviting him into participation in his will, knowing and doing the will of God. And so in this case, God is speaking very directly to Gideon, Go and save Israel. And Gideon has his doubts, as we see there. But who has God called who didn't have doubts? Right? I mean, if you look back through Scripture, is there anybody that God called who didn't struggle with doubts? And you're going to hear about Moses a lot in this, and Abraham, and David, and you know Jeremiah, and like none of God's people that He calls ever didn't have doubts. So it's expected that we're going to have doubts because of that vulnerability that's in us, because of that self-doubt, because of that question mark that we have, because of that timidity, because of that fear, because of that cowardice. We have doubts that God could actually be speaking to us, that God could actually be asking us to do something great in His plan. But the fact remains that God invites us into His work and He speaks to us so that we will know His will. Now, God may not speak to us often in this way, like he's spoken to Gideon. I I won't say that God never speaks this way. I mean, he does, can, and still speak this way, perhaps, as he's spoken in the past very directly uh, through his self-revelation. You know, sometimes, you know, but God speaks in other ways as well. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his people. Um, You know, even in those days, God sometimes spoke to Daniel in dreams and in visions, and Daniel had dreams and visions. But God first spoke to Daniel, actually, in his scripture. Daniel was reading the prophecy of God and the word of God in Jeremiah, and that's how God first spoke to Daniel. And so God speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through his people. And God may speak directly. He may say, I put this on you. I have a job for you to do. And God may speak to you and call you to join him in what he's doing. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And so we have the instruction and the life and the teaching of the son, Jesus Christ, which is how God is speaking to us. And that same teaching is found in the apostles and is preserved in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right, so the, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the instruction of God, the knowledge of God is in His Scripture and it's in His people that stick to His Scripture and that are built on His Scripture. And so God speaks to us in these ways. He speaks and He invites Now, the one thing that we can take away from this, one thing is for certain, is that if we're not reading God's word, if we are not spending time in prayer, if we are not open to regular spiritual conversations with other believers, if we are not following along with the word as it's preached in the body of Christ, then you can imagine that it's difficult for God to preach to you. Right? If you're sitting there saying, God never speaks to me. I, I don't hear God speak. He doesn't, he, he's not, 
I don't know him because he's not inviting me and he's not speaking, but I don't read my Bible. I don't go to church. I don't pray. I don't talk about anything spiritual with any of my friends. You know, I don't listen to sermons online. I don't, you know, but, but God's not speaking. Well, it's hard for God to speak if you don't pick up the phone, right? It's hard for God to speak if we don't use these avenues in which God's will speak. And so the lesson here for me is that we need to put ourselves in a listening attitude. We have to first read our Bible, and then as we read, expect God to speak to us. Not just read to get the chapter done for the day, but read with an expectation that God will speak into our lives about things that need to be unearthed in our hearts, that he'll speak about action that we need to take. And then as we pray, again, we pray not just to give our laundry list to God, and God wants to hear our cares. He tells us, cast your cares upon me. So God wants to hear those things. But then give a moment for God to speak as you pray. Because if it's all you talking and never listening, then it's hard for God to speak. What is God saying in our prayer time about our weakness, about our hurt, about our pain, even about our rebellion and our resistance to him that he wants to act on? We have to have a quiet time literally with God to let him speak. And what is God saying to us through the people that we have around us, through brothers and sisters who are trusting to, who are faithfully speaking into your life the truth of God? Are we listening to God as he speaks through his saints? God is always acting. He's always redeeming. He's always inviting us into that redemptive life and that plan that he has for us. But we have to listen to hear that invitation. God invited Gideon into confronting his own distorted beliefs and doubts and to go beyond his own distorted beliefs and doubts that somehow God didn't care, God wasn't loving and pursuing, God was not speaking and inviting, and God confronted Gideon to deal with those distorted beliefs and doubts and to go beyond that into acting on behalf of his people to rescue them from the nation state of of Midian and to rescue them from this self-pity and fear that they had retreated into. The whole nation was living in caves in the mountains out of fear to go into the farmland because of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And God wanted to rescue them from that. And God speaks and invites Gideon if Gideon will listen. So God is living and active if we will listen and respond. And then fifthly, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Right? And so you're following with me up until now, and then you get to this point, and it has that phrase, crisis of faith, and now you're afraid. What is this crisis of faith that takes place? Well, we'll see it in Gideon's life, and we'll see it maybe in our own lives as well. In 6.15, he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Or Gideon says later, or it says later of Gideon in 6.27, So Gideon took ten ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So how can God use you? We first have to be vulnerable enough to let God and others into our weakness, whatever that is, and then let God work to redeem our weakness and replace it with his strength. God gives the chance to prove you wrong the way he proved Gideon wrong, right? Gideon had no reason to be bitter because God was at work. Gideon had no reason to consider himself a coward because God was with him. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as if they were one man. 
He says, this huge army that you see, you're going to hit them as if it was one person. Right? But Gideon, his first job was to go and deal with this altar of Baal. That was the first thing. We think of Gideon in the army, but he had a job first, kind of a warm-up exercise that God gave him, you know, in his mercy. And he said, the first thing is go into the village and tear down the altar of Baal. And Gideon does it. And the, and, and the encouragement here is that Gideon is still Gideon, right? He's still afraid, so he does it at night. He's like, I'm just going to sneak into town at night, take some guys, take this thing down, disappear in the morning. Everybody will come out. It's like, what happened to the altar of Baal? I don't know. What happened to the altar? Right? <laughs> Something happened, right? So... Gideon is still Gideon, and that's encouraging because we're still who we are, right? We're still, we're still weak, but God knows that we're weak, and it's like, okay, you're going to go do it at night, fine, do it at night, but I'm going to be with you, right? And the Lord says, and he says to Gideon, go in this might of yours. Maybe he does have the gift of sarcasm, I don't know, because I don't know what he means by that, right? Because he says, go in this might of yours, which sounds like, what might, right? That's what Gideon is saying, I'm not strong, right? Like, like, what do you mean go in this might of yours? And I think, it, I think the crisis of Gideon's faith here and what he's confronted with is that God says that Gideon can do what needs to be done with the strength that he has. He says, you've got what you need. Go in the strength that you have. You think you're weak. You think you're whatever. It's enough. Go with what you've got and it will be accomplished. And this is a crisis of faith for Gideon because he's got to decide, what do I believe? Do I believe in my strength or do I believe in God's strength? Do I believe I can't do it, or do I believe God when he says I can do it? And this is the crisis of faith. We come to this point where we have to make a decision. That's what the crisis of faith is. So who's he going to believe? And more than just believe as in agree with or acknowledge, because we often believe God when we say, oh yeah, God is all-powerful, and God can use anybody, and God works through the weak, and you know, God will get the glory because he uses the weak to confound the strong. And we believe it intellectually, but the crisis of faith is, who is Gideon going to believe with his life in terms of actually doing it? That's the belief crisis that Gideon is in. Because if Gideon believes what the Lord is saying to him, that means his life can no longer be spent hiding in a cave. But there's going to be some big changes coming in Gideon's life. Gideon never really stops being Gideon. He does as God asks and God accomplishes his purpose, but not because God made Gideon courageous and powerful, right? And that's often what we think is going to happen. Okay, so God will meet me in my weakness and he will understand my frailty and he will understand my vulnerability. He'll understand what a weak person I am. But, you know, God's going to turn me into like a super powerful soldier or he's going to make me a great speaker. or He's going to give me courage. He's going to get rid of my embarrassment. He's going to get rid of my stage fright. You know, he's going to get rid of this and make me something super powerful. God's like, no, I'm going to use you to accomplish my purposes. But I didn't say I was going to make you Superman to do it. And that's Gideon thing. Like Gideon keeps being Gideon, but he still accomplishes what God has for him because God is doing it. His first job was to destroy that altar, and he did it, but he does it at night. And he's just choosing to trust God. And now, after that little warm-up, Gideon is a catalyst for change in his little tribe. And Gideon's actions start a revival and a renewal in Israel because he trusted God in that crisis of belief. He said, I'm going to do it even though I'm a coward. I'll do it at night, but I'm going to do it. And this may be one of the scariest things about knowing God. This will be one of the scariest things about this series. Knowing that he loves us, knowing that he speaks to us, knowing that he invites us into seeing the world and living our lives through him, it means that we face this same crisis of having to change. Because if this is true, it means something in our life has to change. We have to give up what we have created to make our prison comfortable. Right? Because this is what Israel did. They... they 
they put themselves in caves in the mountains and they kind of felt sorry for themselves that they had to be there, but they kind of made their caves. It's like, okay, if I have to, you know, if I got to beat the wheat out, if I have to thresh the wheat, I'll thresh it in a wine press and I'll make the bread and I'll do whatever I have to do. In the, but I'll make my little cave safe from the Midianites comfortable. And we do this, and this is where the crisis of belief comes because we do the same thing, right? We may be fearful. We may be constricted. We may not be bold for God. We may be cowardly and timid the way Gideon is. We may be bound by things of this world. We may be living out what we feel is a limited life, but what we've all done is we found a way to cope with that. We found a way to be okay with ourselves with that, right? I got my TV, I got my internet, you know, I've got my family of friends, I got my, you know, Friday nights out. You know, I get that I'm living a bit of a cowardly Christian life, but I have made my prison comfortable, right? I've made my cave comfortable and I'm okay to do this. We've found a way to cope with our limitations and our weakness. But what God does is he calls Israel out of their caves. He calls Gideon out of his wine press. He calls us out of our small but comfortable cave into something much grander. And it's easy to fear that. That's why this is called a crisis of faith. It's easy to fear that. But if we trust God, we can be a catalyst for transformation God desires in our life. We can be the catalyst for change that God desires in our family. We can be the catalyst for change that God is hoping for in our community, maybe even our nation. But not if we stay in our comfortable cave. The promise of God remains that in spite of our fear, even though we will still be Gideons, in spite of our fear, even though we are the weakest in my weak little clan, God says, the job that I have next for you I will be with you, and I will, you will strike an entire army as if it's just one man, he said to Gideon. God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, whatever it is you're afraid of out there, just join me. Know me. Join me in what I'm speaking to you, and you will strike that thing down like it's one man. You think that's a big, scary thing out there, but it can be dealt with if you join me. Okay, six and seven, we've got to do. Number six, the sixth reality of knowing God and doing his will is to join God in what he is doing requires major life adjustments, which is what I was just talking about. This crisis of faith leads to these life adjustments. In Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, now on, to, on to the second job now, I've got to deal with that army. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, Let Israel, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Okay, so... so Here's the life change. Gideon goes from threshing wheat in a wine press. He's now the commander of Israel's army, right? This is the major life change that his graces of belief has led to. And he's probably feeling pretty good about himself because he's assembled out of this. He's thinking he's seeing God work. It's like God said he'd work through me. And he is. I've raised up an army of 32,000. Like Gideon's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. I see what God is doing now. I see his plan. God, this is a good plan. 32,000, let's go. I mean, it's still a lot less than them, but I, I can get behind 32,000. That's a lot of people in front of me. But then God says, this is too many. This is too many, right? You got 32,000. So anybody who's not, if they're kind of afraid, send them home. 10, you know, 22,000 disappears, 10,000 left, right? God says, I'd be one of them, right? And just being honest, I have an option to go home? Okay, um, then there's 10,000 left. I mean, you know the story, right? God's like, still too many, right? You're going to get the glory. I'm not going to get the glory. This is going to be something that only I'm going to get the glory for. So he does the little drink test. 300 left. Okay, 300 left. And, and the, it says that the, the, 
the army of the Midianites was like locusts in number, and their camels were without number. Like there's just so many of them. Later on we learn it's like 125,000 or something. So even 32,000 against 125,000, not good. Right? 300 against 125,000, definitely not good. But this is the life change that God calls Gideon out to. When you have this crisis of faith, when you put your trust in God, to trust God and to follow him is going to result in you stepping out in ways in your life that are very uncomfortable and very different from before. And so this is clearly a big adjustment in Gideon's life plan, right? Because he had his routine all sorted out. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago that he had it all planned out. I'm going to thresh some wheat. I'm going to make some flour bake some bread, hang out in my cave, keep my head down. This is my life plan. Two weeks later, I'm going to tear down altars of Baal, lead an army with a gigantic target on my back. You know, everybody's out to get me. But this is the adjustment that God brings into our life when we follow him, when we trust in him. He's knocking down altars to Baal. He's getting his people upset at him. He's forming an army to go attack people, the people that he was trying to avoid. When God calls us into obedience from a state of apathy or he calls us into obedience from a state of disobedience, then our life routine has to change. And I don't say this to scare anybody. I already get that this is scary enough, right? But this is real. If you are going one direction in your life and that direction is not walking with God, then it just stands to reason that when we get to know God and God speaks to us and we have that crisis of belief and we decide to follow God, then clearly the direction we're going to go in is different and there's going to be life changes. There will be adjustments, We may find ourselves working in a different job than we thought we were going to be working in a year ago. We may find ourselves living in a different city than we thought we were going to live in. We may be out of of the house in places and at times that we never expected. You know, we're not going to be at home watching Netflix. We're going to be out doing something that we never expected we would be doing that stretches us and that we're afraid of. Big adjustments is what we have to do to leave the security of our own self-reliance. We have to make ourselves vulnerable to God's changes in our lives. We have to expose our own weaknesses and our own fears like Gideon's fear. And working in those weaknesses anyway, let God change our life and change the things that we're doing. Make those adjustments so that we're following him. And then finally, number seven, the seventh and final of these truths. You come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. And so this is how you start to experience God more deeply. This is how you experience God at the deepest level, right? When you recognize that he's at work, when you realize that he's inviting you into his plan for your life and his plan for the nation, when you realize that he's pursuing this love relationship, when you have that crisis of belief and you're willing to make those life adjustments, then you come to know God by experience as you walk in that, as you obey him. As these things are happening, you know God more deeply. We see this in Judges 7.13. It says, When Gideon came, came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, this is in the Midian camp now. So Gideon is, you know, Gideon's still Gideon, right? And so God says, Okay, Gideon, if you're still afraid to do the attack, if you sneak down by the camp, I'll give you a little pick-me-up. And so Gideon goes down by the camp, and he overhears the Midianites speaking. And he says, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell flat and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped, it says. As we 
go with God on this adventure that he has for us, if we put our faith in him and trust him, and as we walk in that and we see God's faithfulness, the response of Gideon was worship. Gideon's relationship now with God is on a whole other level than it was two weeks ago, right? Right? Gideon's experience of God is like nothing he's ever experienced before. And this is what is before us if we will go through this with God. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Gideon, Gideon comes back. He's like, 300, whatever, let's go. Right? My experience with God now, he just has so much confidence in what God is doing. And so it's the third time now that God realizes Gideon is still Gideon. He realizes he's still afraid. He still realizes he needs encouragement. And again, I'm encouraged by this because I need this, right? It doesn't matter how long I've been walking with God. I still need encouragement. And God knows that. God remembers that we are dust. And so God will encourage us in our weakness. He won't necessarily take it away, but he'll encourage us in it, just like he does with Gideon here. He says, here, I'll I'll, I'll give you a little pick-me-up. You go down here, and you're going to hear the Midians admit that they're beat, Right? And in this dream, a loaf of bread comes. And remember where God found Gideon. He was making flour. (laughs) He's beating wheat, uh, getting the wheat ready for the flour. This loaf of bread comes and smashes into the army camp, flattens it out. And the Midianites Midianites that that Gideon overhears are like, that is definitely Gideon. God's on his side. And he's going to come and mess this whole camp up. Right? And Gideon feels better. And he goes back. He's like, let's go do it. And God is building this relationship with Gideon through his obedience. God, as Gideon Gideon is taking these steps of obedience, God is encouraging him, and Gideon worships in response. Gideon is experiencing his relationship with God just so much more rich, so much more deep, so much more trusting. Because he listens to God, he trusts God, and then he obeys God, and it leads to worship. And that just keeps happening. He keeps listening, he keeps trusting, he keeps obeying, and he keeps worshiping, right? It just, that's the cycle that God wants us on. It just gets us deeper and deeper and deeper into our relationship with God. And that's what he wants to do in all of our lives. He wants us to be living our life with him, walking with him, responding to him to deepen our love and worship of him. And I'm sure most of you know how the account ends, right? Gideon's men, they blew the trumpets, they smashed the jars, they exposed their torches, they shout this big battle cry, and the Midianites all panic, and they're killing each other, and they're running for days, and they all get hunted down, and Israel enjoys peace for another 40 years, right? So this army of 125,000, Gideon, through God, takes out with 300 people because he was listening and because he had that crisis of faith and because he chose to obey God. He knew God's will, and he did God's will. Now, here's the application for us. When we see others do these steps, we are always amazed and we're always a little bit envious, right? As Christians, when we see others do this, we, you know, we read the story in the Christianity Today or we see the YouTube video or we hear the testimony at a men's conference or a women's conference and we hear these stories of Christians who have done just what Gideon has done. We, we hear these stories of people that are walking close to God in their quiet times, right? They, they talk about how they were just... You know, they were in church and they were in their quiet time and they were journaling and they were reading their Bible and we hear about how they tell us about how God spoke to them and said, you know, here's what, here's what I have for you to do. And they tell their testimony of this and, and they see the world as God sees the world and they joined God in his redeeming work and then God did something through them and we hear these testimonies and we're just amazed and we're, and we're kind of jealous of them, right? And it may have had a big impact on whatever that thing was, right? It might have been on a whole country or it might have been something like, you know, water ambassadors or, you know, they just listened to God and now they're putting wells all over the world or it might have been, you know, whatever it is. And and, and it's like becoming a missionary or it could have been starting a movement or an organization or it could have been whatever. Or it could have just been a dramatic outcome among, you know, their 
a high school peers or in a small town or even just in one family, adopting a child, whatever. But we hear these stories from other Christians where they did this, where they trusted in God. They had that crisis of faith. They made that big adjustment. They followed God. And then they're just so blessed in what happened. And we hear those stories and we think, wow, that's great. It's just, but that's not me. Right? We hear those stories and we're envious because we've not done them. But the message here is that those stories can be our stories. Those are the stories that God wants for all of us. Whether, whether, it's, whether it's in the life of one child or one family or in the life of a nation, God wants to redeem your circumstances. He wants your relationship with him to go in the same direction. And so this diagram, these seven steps, is sort of gonna, you're going to kind of revolve around these for a few weeks. This study, this sermon series is going to guide us through these truths that we've summarized in this diagram to see that they're not just for Gideon. They're not just for Abraham. They're not just for Moses. They're not just for David. They're not just for conquering an army or saving a nation. This truth about how God expects us to know him and obey him and experience him through our obedience and our faith in him, they are truths by which all God's people who listen and obey can overcome our enemy and we can save a family, we can heal the brokenhearted, we can redeem a generation. Right here in Halliburton. This is how God's calling us out. God's already at work around us. God is already pursuing us with his love. God is already inviting us to be involved. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to you. Even right now, he's speaking to you through his word and through this study, inviting us to either trust him or mistrust ourselves, to either believe in his strength or have faith in our weakness. And then experience the reality of God as we obey and see and work through us. If we choose to trust God, if we choose, choose to have that crisis of faith, we can see him work in us, just like he's worked through Gideon, just like he's worked through every weak, vulnerable, ordinary person. If you are weak and vulnerable and ordinary, you're who God's looking for. Let's pray.